You're listening to a Toronto Centre podcast. Welcome. The goal of TC Podcasts is to spread the knowledge and accumulated experience of global leaders, experts, and world-renowned specialists in financial supervision and regulation. In each episode, we'll delve into some of today's most pressing issues as it relates to financial supervision and regulation. The financial crisis, climate change, financial inclusion, fintech, and much more. Enjoy this episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Toronto Centre podcast. I'm Shalina Visram, Program Director at Toronto Centre. Companies across the country and globally are determining the best way to reintegrate employees back to the office. Our experience is unprecedented. As leaders and financial regulators and financial supervisors, We are in uncharted territory, and we want to do the best that we can to understand how to best support our managers and employees in this new normal. This podcast will share information and practical tips to help individuals to not only survive, but to also thrive as we embark on this journey together. Our conversation will focus on understanding fear and what leaders and managers need to be aware of and ways to support. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking virtually with Dr. Kanet Thigpen, or Dr. K, as many have come to call her. Dr. K is Vice President of Clinical Crisis and specialty services at Workplace Options. In her role, she specializes in developing specialty teams, streamlining and implementing processes across global service centers, maintaining unified processes and service quality while adapting to varying cultural contexts. As an international psychologist and licensed clinical social worker, Dr. K has over 15 years of leadership experience in the fields of behavioral health and consulting working with hundreds of companies of all sizes, multiple industries from around the globe. She is passionate about helping companies reach their fullest potential and has been named by iChange Nations as a woman who adds value and a distinguished leader. Welcome, Dr. K. Thank you so much, Shalina, for having me on the podcast. I'm looking forward to add value to the audience today. Thank you. So let's start with our first question. Why are some employees so fearful of returning to the office? Oh, wow. That's such a great question as so many people are fearful of returning to the office. And so what I would say at first is that fear is real and that fear is an absolute normal response. Because if you think about it, fear is what causes us to take action and fear is what keeps us safe. 
And I think a great example of that is that many of us are, you know, washing our hands more often. We're using hand sanitizers. We're wearing masks. We're wearing gloves. We're taking precautions because there is some fear. And again, that fear is normal. Now, of course, you have the other end of the spectrum where people are are becoming very fearful, but they're taking it to another degree. And I think you'll see that by the individuals who are hoarding all the toilet paper. So I don't know about you and if you've had, you know, any challenges of trying to get toilet paper or paper towels or any type of paper products. But I think that's when fear is going to another level where people are kind of getting out of control by it. Um, When I think about fear, it's really about the unknowns and the uncertainties. And when, when there are a lot of unknowns and uncertainties, what happens is people start to make up their own stories in their head to get to what they think could possibly happen. Now, when people think about what could possibly happen, they make that story up based upon maybe past experiences that they have had in their life. They make it up based upon what they've seen while scrolling through social media. And again, I know social media has so much information up there, but some of it is false. And so again, while they're scrolling through social media or while they spend time looking at the news outlets, they start to piece the story together that's not really the case. And a great example of this is think about it. Now, when people cough or sneeze, everyone turns and looks at them like they are the plague. Now, the thing is, what happens is when you start thinking about that fear and uncertainty, making up that story in your head, what people will do is say, oh, my goodness, the person that walked past me sneezed or coughed, which means they had COVID, which now means I have COVID, which now means I need to go to the hospital. And now they're going to admit me. And now they're going to put me on a ventilator. And now I'm going to die. So now that's the story that you all of a sudden made up in your head based upon unknowns and uncertainties. Now, the reality is only about 80% of, well, 80% of the people who are probably catching COVID, they're surviving, you know, and not to minimize it at all, but, you know, the other 20% or so, it's, they, they're having those severe, you know, um, medical issues or high risk issues that's kind of, you know, taking them um, and they're passing away. But again, over 80 percent of people are surviving through this pandemic and the coronavirus. And so we start kind of looking at the fact versus fear and the unknowns and the uncertainties. It's a completely different story. And so what happens is, if we kind of break this down a little bit further, is in our brains, we have this amygdala, and it's this small almond-shaped thing in our brain. And I like to call it the fear hub. And so that's what tells us whether we're safe or whether we're in danger. And when that starts to kick in, it kicks in to our hypothalamus. And when it goes to our hypothalamus, that's where we get the physiological responses of, you know, our heart starts racing, our um, our blood pressure goes up. Maybe we start sweating, that whole panicking. That's when that comes into play. And then three things start to happen. We either fight, flight, or freeze. And I'm sure many of us have heard the whole fight, flight, or freeze response, but this is what causes us, again, to take action. So again, fear causes us to take action and to keep us safe. So individuals are either going to run completely away from the event because they're like, you know what, I'm just fleeing from this. They're going to freeze from it where they're like, I don't know what to do. I'm just going to sit here and do absolutely nothing. So I don't know what to do. Or people are going to fight. And that doesn't mean physically fight, but they're going to be very resourceful to figure out how do I come out on the other side. Now, what I find very interesting is you're going to start to see, and I have started to see, 
a lot of studies being done on how people are being fearful about reintegrating back into the workplace. And I've seen various studies and, you know, anywhere from about 40% to upwards of 60% of people are still saying, you know what, I'm still fearful of going back into the workplace. And even interesting enough, yesterday, I was on a panel um, with some a different group of people. And they did one of those polling questions where, you know, you're on the panel, you do a polling question. And about 60% of those individuals in that group also reported that they're fearful of returning to the office. And so I think, again, when you say, you know, why are people so fearful? I think all of those play a factor in it. And although we're not here necessarily to talk about that, you know, I would feel remiss if I did not give people just a few practical tips, because they may be listening and saying, OMG, this is totally me. I'm the person who is fearful and I have to go back to work soon. What do I do? So I just wanted to provide maybe three quick tips so people can kind of overcome that fear if they're experiencing it. And I feel like they're simple that people can implement on their own. And so the first one would be breathing. And so many people are like, oh, okay, that's a very simple one, Dr. K. What do you have more than that? But seriously, breathing is super important because deep breathing is what causes us to decrease our stress it decreases our heart rate. So when we do become fearful, taking that deep breath kind of resets us. And many of us have very shallow breathing. So when you're saying, I breathe all the time, deep breathing, whoopty whoopty. But in reality, we have very shallow breathing. Like even as I say that, I become very conscious of what I'm doing. And I notice that right here in this moment, my breathing is very shallow. So when you reset, it's taking that deep breath from your diaphragm, like pulling from your toes all the way up. So you're inhaling holding, and then exhaling so that you can reduce that, those physiological responses that you're having to fear. The second thing I would say is really understand what is fear and what is fact. Because again, oftentimes, whether we're scrolling through social media, whether we're looking on the news, whether we're hearing it from a friend, from another person, information starts to get skewed. And so we have to understand really what is fear and what is fact. And then lastly, I think it's super important to be mindful. So practicing mindfulness and mindfulness looks a lot like meditation, which can be different for each individual. So whether that's prayer for you, whether that's sitting in silence, whether that's going for a nature walk, whether that's listening to music, whatever it is for you, but be present, be mindful, be in the moment. Because again, when fear comes up, we're jumping to conclusions of what could possibly happen but it's important to stay present and to stay in the moment. Thank you for that. I think uh, it's really important uh, first step uh, in, in kind of coping with this environment to understand our own fears. And then that helps us with the tips that you identified to kind of manage that, right? Absolutely. And then the, the, the projection of that positive energy with our colleagues around us and our clients. So Absolutely. that sets... Uh, uh, you know, sets a good stage for our next question. So what should managers and leaders be aware of from a well-being perspective of employees returning to the office? Yes. And so what comes to mind for me is what I like to call the four S's. Yes, the four S's. So this is where we want managers to really understand stressors, signs and symptoms, stigma, and sharing of information. So those are four things that I want to go over. And so I'll start with stressors. And so just like fear, not all fear is bad, not all stress is bad, but it's important that you are aware of it for each of your employees or your team members, because it's going to look different. 
And although we like to think that individuals um, operate in silo, guess what? They don't. They don't operate in silo. And so in understanding your employees and as you have relationships with them, you need to understand what those stressors are for each of them. So it could be, of course, overnight we became school teachers, we became the cook, we became the, the clean per the person that's cleaning the house and doing all the chores. Um, so overnight, all of those things happen for us. And so, you know, maybe the person is stressed out because their kids have this split return to school where they're going to school for one week and home for two weeks, or maybe they're doing all online schooling and they're still worried about like, you know what? I'm about to go back to work. What am I supposed to do with my kid? You know, I don't want to take them back to childcare. I don't want to take them to summer camps. I don't want to take them to after school care if that is indeed your particular situation. Or, you know, maybe your partner's still at home with you. So the stressors that you experience is, you know, we're both in the same room trying to conduct meetings, or I'm worried about my kid who's going to come tap me on the shoulder in the most important meeting that I'm having at the day, because they always seem just to know when to show up. <laughs> You're like, not the right time. Um, you know, also other stressors that individuals are going to start to experience as they reintegrate back into the office is what about transportation? So maybe they were taking the tube or the train maybe even flying, you know, any type of public transportation that they've had to take, you know, that's a fear of having to be around an additional group of people that you haven't been around for three or four months. And now here you are because you need to get back to work. Um, you know, in addition, you know, you have some individuals who are caregivers. And so although they may feel perfectly fine to return to work um, and to perform at the highest rate possible, then they have the fear of, you know what, when I go home, I have my elderly parents that I need to care for. And what if I bring something back home to them? Maybe they have their own health issues that they're dealing with. So I think for managers, what it's really important to understand when it comes to the stressors is that you need to really take into consideration somebody's complete ecosystem. It's not just like just Shalina alone or just Dr. K alone, but what are the other factors or individuals that are impacting her that are leading her to have additional stress? You know, when we also think about stress, grief comes to mind. And typically when individuals hear the word grief, they automatically assume that someone has passed away. Now, majority of the time it is, and I'm sure there's many of us that have been impacted in some way or another, whether it's a close friend or a family member that has passed away, or maybe a friend of a friend that we know. But in reality, many of our employees are experiencing grief in other forms. Now, they may not want to call it that. They might say, I just feel weird. I just feel sad. But again, think about all the things that we have lost in these last four months, whether it's we lost our routines, we've lost our, our child care, we lost, um, some people have lost their jobs, maybe their partners and spouses have lost their job, we've lost our hairdresser and our nail techs. And so, you know, it, it may sound like I'm being a little bit facetious, but in reality, those are all losses that we have had to deal with. And so understanding as well that your employees are dealing with that as well. And then when you look at the stages of grief, so again, whether that has been a physical person passing away or these other events that have caused us grief, there, there's a process that individuals go through where it includes denial, anger, sadness, and depression, bargaining, and acceptance. And so when you think about that, if you have an employee who's experienced grief and they're in the stage of either depression or anger, Think about how that's going to affect your relationship, whether either working with clients or working with you or working with colleagues. There's probably going to be a little bit of a change, which leads me to our next S, which is understanding the signs and symptoms. 
So again, if you really understand your employees, you're going to know when things are off. You're going to know when things are different. You're going to be prompted to ask additional questions because something's just not right. And so, you know, whether it's an individual's attitude, maybe it's that their attitude has changed. And I think a great example of this is this was, of course, pre-COVID, but I had a, a, an employee and when I would walk past her desk, she had she seemed she seemed to have a little bit of an attitude. But you know what? Everyone doesn't have a great day every single day. And so it's kind of like, mm, OK, you know, maybe she's just having one of those days. But when I saw her later on in the afternoon, she was very jubilant and happy and just joyful. And so I was like, OK, it was just a moment in time. Well, a couple of days later, once again, I was at saw her going past her desk and I was like, hmm, again, she had a little bit of an attitude. But then when I would see her outside of the office setting, like whether it was a break room or going for a walk around the, the campus where we work, she was in a completely different mood. So, again, I was kind of like, hmm, weird. So I kind of let it go again. And then on the third time it happened, I said, you know what, I'm going to talk to her. So I said, hey, you got a moment. I would love to talk with you. And I said, you know what? I've observed. I've noticed that over the last three days in the last week, I've observed X, Y, and Z. And she says, you know what, Dr. K, I'm so glad that you pulled and talked to me. I wanted to talk to you or another manager. But she said, ultimately, she says, I'm having a lot of personal issues, a lot of stressors in my life, and I'm either going to have to quit or possibly go part time. I don't know what to do. So we were able to process that. And, you know, after having that discussion with her, she did have to make the decision to go part time. But ultimately, what was happening was while she was in that work environment doing the work, there were so many stressors weighing on her that she did have a little bit of an attitude. But when she was outside of that environment, she felt a lot better. But again, if I would have kept passing her by and she would never have brought it up, that's an issue that's just kind of waiting to happen or additional um, performance indicators that you're going to notice that's happening with an employee. So whether that's, you know, maybe your attendance starts to um, drop. So maybe the person is typically, you know, coming to work all the time. And then all of a sudden, whether it's due to COVID or not, you're noticing that, hey, you know, they're not starting to come to work or they're, they're calling out or, you know, maybe they're, you're starting to see a lot of errors within their work that they're normally really good at or they're becoming late on turning things in. Those are all signs that managers want to be aware of because it's, it might be a good indication that something is not quite right. And so as managers, we need to have those conversations that are sometimes uncomfortable conversations to be able to learn more about how we can best support that employee. And which leads me to the next S, which is stigma. So, of course, when you begin to talk about mental well-being, um, when we talk about fears, when, when these fears go un, unaddressed, it often leads to anxiety and depression. Now, anxiety and depression are the two most prominent mental health issues um, that we will have, that we have. So if you were to do research, that's what you will find. And even more important, one in five people, according to the CDC, one in five people have severe stress or a mental illness. And again, that's self-reported information. Now, that blows my mind because if we're saying that one in five people have stress or mental illness that is self-reported, one, that leads me to believe, think about all the, the incidents that are not reported. And then two, it concerns me because coming out of COVID, research has shown that we are going to see unprecedented numbers of stress and mental illness, whether it's anxiety or depression or others, that are going to come out. And so as a manager, if we have that stigma and the way that we relate to or communicate about an individual who has a, a stressors that are happening in their life 
or or known mental illnesses that maybe they've shared with you um, that's affecting their well-being, they're not going to want to talk to you about it if you're kind of like, oh, well, you just got to you know do it anyway or just push through it. It's going to get better or, you know, take a break and come back. That's not necessarily the response to have. And so in having those conversations, a lot of times it's important that you always start the conversation with I instead of saying you, because you just sounds like you're blaming someone already. So why would I want to talk to you when I'm already blaming you? So start the conversation with I and then, you know, say what you observe. Like I noticed I observed X, Y and Z, because, again, that's what you you saw. And then I would follow up by saying, you know, how can I support? Because you want to let that individual know that you're there to support them. And again, by opening that up, now they have a door or a way to kind of say, the best way to support me is I just need 30 minutes right now to go take a break, to sit in my car, just to go stand outside. You know what? On Friday, I think I just need to take a day off work. You know what? I'm, I'm having issues with childcare and, and really juggling the two. You know, are there any resources available to be able to support? But again, I think it's starting the conversation with I noticed or I observed and then asking the individual how you can support which leads me to the next S, which is share. And so again, you want to have that open communication with individuals that you are able to have that discussion, a two-way dialogue. And you want to start these conversations of sharing of information even before we integrate back into the office. So before we say, okay, on August 1st, we're going back to the office, we should be setting up meetings with our employees. And I'm not saying like a one and done either, but you know, setting up meetings to discuss, you know, what is different, what is new, what can we expect? How are you feeling? What do you need? Again, those are conversations that we should be having, again, having them before we reintegrate back into the office, as well as when we are back into the office. Great. Thank you. So we talked a little bit about what managers should be aware of. So let's let's talk a little bit about what employees need to do. So um, what will employees need to know or keep in mind when interacting with colleagues uh, or clients? Great question. And, and this one, it, um, it really goes to our social interactions and our social cues where, you know, I think some, something, the things that we take for granted are going to be some of the things that we're going to be faced with. I think a simple greeting is going to become that awkward of, oh my goodness, Shalina, when I see you again, you know, I'm used to giving you a hug every time I see you and it's been four months since I've seen, been in your presence. And so some people are gonna want to hug, some people are gonna want to high five, you know, do I bow, do I elbow, do we kick feet, do we do the fist bumps? You know, what do we do? And some people, depending on where they're at, they may take offense to some of these things because they're like, well, she didn't shake my hand or she didn't wave back or he didn't do this or he didn't do that. And so I think when it comes to those social interactions and greetings, that's going to be a huge one. And, you know, and working with different companies, I've seen things from where they're getting these color coded bracelets. And so maybe red means don't touch me, don't shake my hand, I'm not going to do anything. Maybe green means, you know, I'm okay for physical contact as far as a handshake. And maybe yellow means, you know, I'm just willing to smile and wave at you. So we've seen, I've seen things from bracelets to putting different um, signs on doors of offices so people will know what to expect. So they're not caught by surprise when you, when you don't go shake their hand or that when you don't go give them a hug. Um, I think even something simple as a potluck. I mean, I love to eat. Um, and I can think about every day when we were in the office, somebody was cooking and bringing in something, whether it was brownies, whether it was pasta, whether it was pizza. And, you know, some people are not going to want to eat and have potlucks because, you know, COVID is still alive and well. Um, and again, it's those things of not wanting to get offended. 
And I think the other piece of the social interactions and is social cues, you know, the social cues that people will be having, because to be honest with you, we're now wearing these masks that cover over half of our face. And typically we're used to reading the facial cues of people to know how to interact with them. But now with our faces covered, how on earth are we supposed to manage all of that? And I just think about myself, like I love people. I'm the person that when you go to the grocery store, I'm trying to make eye contact with you. I wanna smile, I wanna start a conversation with you. But the reason I'm able to do that is because I'm able to read your cues, your body language, your facial expression to know, is it okay to make contact with this person and have a conversation? Or are they a little bit more standoffish where I shouldn't probably start sparking up a conversation and smiling at them. But again, that particular piece is going to be gone. Even if you think about meetings that we're going to be having with um, other client meetings, again, those facial expressions that we're used to seeing are no longer gonna be there, which means we're going to probably have to start asking more questions, probing a little bit more, clarifying, asking those clarifying questions to make sure that we fully understand because again, those facial cues that we normally try to take heed to are no longer going to be there. Uh, lots of, lots of uh, things to consider here uh, in terms of, uh, you know, different ways of interacting, reading people's faces. I think for me, that is also extremely important as a trainer uh, to, you know, sort of to continue to make our programs ad adaptable, right? So to, in order to not be able to see that, that can pose quite a challenge. Absolutely. So, so switching gears back to managers now. So from that perspective, what can managers do to support staff to ensure smooth transition? You know, the first thing that I would say is what I will make it very simple. Look, listen and link. So look, listen and link. And in looking again, we're being very observant as to what is going on around us? How are employees interacting? How are our employees transitioning back? How are they managing? And so you're gonna to need to be able to do that not only by having conversations with them, but also by observing. Because oftentimes people will say, you know what, I'm great, I'm fine, I'm okay. But when I look at you, your body language is telling me something completely different. You know, Shalina, as a trainer, I know that, you know, when you're training, you're, you're probably thinking, do you got me? And they're like, uh-huh, they're shaking their head, but then they look puzzled and you're like, okay, I'm gonna go back over that again. Um, so again, I think the first important thing is to be able to look. Um, then it's important that we listen. So if we are observing things that are not quite right, having that conversation to listen to what our employees have to say, um, and then the last piece of that would be to link. So, you know, are there certain things that we can link them to, whether that's linking them to an employee assistance program if somebody has one, whether that's linking them to other resources in their community. Maybe your company has particular benefits or resources to offer. I know some companies are doing um, specific resources during this time of COVID. And so, again, it's linking them to the supports and services that they truly need. I think the other thing is, you know, we're, we're really going to have to be flexible. A again, this is unprecedented times. We've never been here before. Um, many people are going to need different things. And so I think we're going to have to be a little bit more flexible than maybe what we've had been in the past. Um, and then I think the last thing that's really important to know is um, as managers, what we need to support is really understanding what zone and I'm going to explain this. So what zone our employees are in? And when I talk about the zone that our employees are in, there's two things that are super important to our employees. 
And that's going to be their emotions and their energy. If they don't have emotions and energy, their performance is probably not going to be that great. And I wish I could show you on, on paper now, but you know, think about, again, you have your energy and you have your emotions. So if you were to put high energy at the top of the paper, low energy at the bottom of the paper, on the left side, put negative emotions, and then on the right side, put positive emotions, and then try to draw like a line, vertical and horizontal, it would give you a grid. Well, what typically happens if you have an employee who is high energy and positive emotion, they're probably in the performance zone. And that's where we want our employees to be, in the performance zone. That means they're ready to come to work, they're gonna give it their all, and they're gonna work really, really hard. Now, the reality is most employees only stay in the performance zone for about two to three hours before they slip to one of these other zones. Now, the other zone is if they have high energy and negative emotions about returning to work due to the stressors and anxieties and the fears, they're in what we call the survival zone. And to be honest, most employees stay in the survival zone as they're working the entire time. And so you need to understand, are they in that survival zone? Or maybe they're in the recovery zone where they have the um, low energy but positive emotion. Now, if they have that, again, they're in that recovery zone of trying to get back to some type of homeostasis. And then lastly, if they have negative emotion and low energy, they're going to be in burnout zone. Now, that's a place that we want to prevent. And so if we really want as managers to prevent our employees from getting there, what are we doing proactively to prevent them from getting there? So in order to kind of avoid that last zone that you talked about, coupled with the fact that these new office routines are here to stay. So what is your advice on how to facilitate establishing comfort with some of these new office routines? Oh, such a great question. And so to prevent people from getting to that burnout, you know, the first thing I would say is communicate, communicate and communicate some more. I cannot stress how important communication is at this time because again, employees are going to want to know what is being done differently now. So again, if they're truly having fear, I need to know what is going to be done differently before I return to the office. So again, that communication starts even before I get to the office, but what really blows my mind is that research has shown that since COVID has come about, employers have been way more communicative than they have ever been. And so I think the thing that we're, we want to be mindful of is if we weren't having much communication, and then now all of a sudden, because of the pandemic, we have been super communicative, and then we return back to the office, and then it kind of dies down, like, that's not, a, that's not great. You know, we want to keep that level of communication to a point where employees understand and that they're well-informed and they know what's going on and they're able to ask questions and they're able to get their questions answered. And so the first thing I would say is communicate, communicate, and communicate some more. The second thing I would say is um, it's important that we model behavior or model our expectations. And again, it sounds like something that's so simple, but I think oftentimes we forget because our employees are watching us as leaders, they're watching us as executives to see what is Dr. K doing? How is she acting? How is she responding? Think about it. If you were on an airplane and you got severe turbulence where the point where your flight attendants run frantically to their seats, they jump in their jump seats and their eyes get as big as quarters, you're probably gonna look at them like something's not quite right because I'm looking at them. 
And it's so important. This I never knew how much employees looked at leaders until one day, I think I had like been out, out of the office sick for a few days and I normally wear heels and you know what I like to say, dress up most days. But these few days I went into the office, I had on flats, I was very casual. Um, and by the third day I had three employees knock on my door and they said, um, Kenneth, do you have a moment to talk? And I was like, sure. And they said, we're here to do an intervention with you. And so I kind of chuckled and I said, well, what's going on? They said, we've been watching you for the last three days and we notice that you have not wore high heels in three days and you have not wore earrings in three days. And it blew my mind to know that they had even watched me that much to even know. So if they're watching to see if you have your heels on or not or your earrings or not, you best believe they're watching to see how you're going to act and respond to reintegrating back into the office or to see how you're managing your own fears. Um, and then the last thing I would say is, you know, try to make it as fun as possible. Now, fun and COVID and reintegration may not go in the same sentence. However, try to make it as fun as possible. And so, you know, as people return to the office, maybe it is that you kind of have like a reopening party in a sense. Of course, we're gonna still practice our physical distancing, but maybe we have the balloons, maybe we have catered individually boxed lunches for people. You know, I know something that I've seen organizations do is you know, they're doing small little treats or gifts from local small businesses. So it's a way to support small businesses, but it's also a nice little gift or present or appreciation token to employees. So whether that's a, a local chocolate factory or a local cupcake store, um, I know we've had local people make masks with um, the company logo on them, or whether it's even just a nice handwritten note saying, you know what, I missed you. It's great to see your face. Good to be back in the office. So try to make it as fun as possible. Great. So uh, we've talked a lot about many, many things in terms of practical examples, practical tips. So a lot to consider, both from an employee perspective, from a manager perspective, from a leader perspective, supervisors, regulators, they have a lot to think about as they reintegrate back into a physical workspace. So because there's a lot that we covered, can we take a few moments and Dr. K, maybe you can summarize some of the key points and tips that we've been talking about so far? Sure, absolutely. So th the first thing that I would say is just remembering and understanding that fear is real, but fear is normal. So a lot of employees are definitely experiencing fear as they reintegrate back into the office. So I would say that's the first um, Thing that I would summarize. The second thing that I would say is the importance of communicating. You know, um, communicate, 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 and that communication starts before reintegration happens. It continues in the middle of the reintegration, and it needs to continue on afterwards because, again, people are going to want to know what is happening at different phases throughout the reintegration process. So communicate, communicate, communicate. And then the other thing I would say is it's important to for managers to understand the signs, the symptoms, to be able to look, listen, and link their employees. Again, you have to really understand your employees. You can't be afraid to not ask questions. As a manager, that's part of your role. And so not being afraid to probe, not being afraid to ask questions, um, so keeping those lines um, very clear. And the last one, and although we didn't talk about this very much, I think that's definitely super, super, super important to know, is having compassion and having grace, not only for yourself, but for your employees as well. Wow, lots of good takeaways in terms of tips, uh, 
you know, the deep breathing, actually, as you were talking about that, I was being conscious about that, that, wow, I, I'm always breathing so lightly, uh, being mindful, being in the moment. Many of the tips that you've uh, shared with us and the examples you've shared with us are things that we can, uh, that, you know, if we practice them, they they can actually uh, help us sustain in, in a more long-term productive performance zone area. Yes. So, Thank you for that, Dr. K. The session has been very insightful. As you've shared some practical tips with examples we can use to help us successfully and safely return to the physical workplace. Thank you for your time. You've been listening to a Toronto Centre podcast. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me.